We want to welcome this congregation this morning, assembled here in God's house, where the Church of the Living God will officially be in session here this morning. And we're inviting and encouraging all the folks at home, where two or three are gathered together, to join us on this lovely, lovely, beautiful November morning as we open the pages of the Bible and grow in understanding and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, living God, we humbly come before your presence today. We know that the Word of God says, except the Lord build the house, thy labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Father in heaven, we are humbly coming to you today to simply admit that except it be given him from heaven, a man can know nothing, and we know nothing as we ought to know it. Well, living God, we are so inadequate and so much in need of thee this day that we plead in the name and for the glory and the honor and the blessing of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that you would not only bless every man and every woman, every boy and every girl in this congregation, but all across the hinterlands of America and beyond, the borders to other nations, O living God, wherever your remnant live and dwell in this earth, May the Holy Spirit move upon their hearts, quicken their spirits, and let them know that you love them, that you care for them, and great shepherd of the sheep. You have promised us that my sheep know my voice, and a stranger they do not follow. O oh Christ, our Savior, guide your flock, your covenant body of remnant Christians, across America and the Western world. And we will always remember, Lord God, that all the glory and all the honor and all the praise forever belongs to Thee. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it all. Amen. You know, this morning the choir was singing from the book of Revelation. Did you know that? They were singing from Revelation chapter number 5, Who is worthy to open the seals? He is worthy. They asked the question and then answered it. And they answered it by saying, The Lamb from the tribe of Judah, He is the only one that can unseal those seven seals. Why is that important? Well, it's important because the opening of the seven seals, then we come toward the end of the seven seals, and they open up the seven trumpets. And we come to the end of the trumpets, and they open up the grand finale called the full wrath of the Lamb upon evil and wickedness, and that full wrath is called the seven vials or bowls of judgment poured out. Each of these three developments, that is the seals and the trumpets and the vials, are progressively more and more and more severe. Now there's something that all of us need to know. The book of Revelation, as we have mentioned along the path, is the most controversial book of the New Testament canon. We also need to know that it is the book that more commentary has been written about, or as much about as any other book in the Bible. And a lot of the folks that have written a book about the book of Revelation wish that they had a chance to redo their book. Because this book is deep and probing, but it's very simple. 
It's God's judgment at the end of the age upon sin. And you know, there's a very good reason we're all here today, and that's because we all need to remember that the most important step we take in this world is to deal with the sin problem in our life. And if we have not made things right with God our Father who gave us life, then we have missed the train. We're still at the station and the train is gone. So let's think about the importance of every one of us having made things right with God. For if you <clears throat> were to pass from this world in the next minute to the next world, your making things right with God in this world would make all the difference in the world where you spend eternity. Think about that. For the last breath you take in this world will place you in direct confrontation with the God who created you. And in an instant, if you have made things right in this world with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of all creation, and by the blood of Jesus who washed you from your sin, and you have made things right with God by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, you will be instantaneously transported into the third world, correction, third heaven, third heaven. And there you will be in a place that the Bible calls in 2 Corinthians 12, in Revelation chapter 2, St. Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 23, verse 43. It's a place called paradise. Paradise. You can read about it in your Bible. So the idea of soul sleep is not in the Bible. Now, I didn't want to disappoint anyone who has ever been a Jehovah's Witness. They believe in soul sleep. The Bible does not teach that when you die, your soul goes into the grave with the body. That is not in the Bible. But sadly, there are people who believe that. So what we're going to do today as we turn to the book of Revelation. Now, a lot of people that read the book of Revelation, they, they think it's a scary book. <laughs> you know, it, it has what some people call science fiction language in it. If you read every word in the book of Revelation, some of it is pretty strange. And a lot of it, believe it or not, a lot of the book of Revelation was not even possible until the age of technology. So if people that wrote their commentary on the book of Revelation, and I really appreciate the Reformation fathers. How many Reformation fathers wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation? They were too, they were just too much in awe of God to, to leave very much commentary behind. So they've left it to the evangelicals of our generation to just pour out of the printing presses their view of Revelation. How many ever remember the movie Left Behind? Left Behind, Tim LaHaye and a guy by the last name Jenkins. They, they made a fortune from teaching the rapture which they say was launched beginning, or will be launched beginning in Revelation chapter 4. It's a scene in heaven. So we're not here today, people, to draw hard lines on the book of Revelation, drive deep, stake, deep stakes. Uh, because we know that all of us are going to learn more and more as the days go by about the book of Revelation. What we would like to do today is this, people. You know, they are warning 
the American people, when I say they, there are some very profound thinkers in this country who actually believe that the American public is beginning to suffer from mental illness. That we are not a country that thinks very straight anymore. That we are losing our ability to think rationally. Now, how would they say, or why would they say that America is losing its ability to think rationally? Well, can I give you a couple examples? Examples. Last week in Ohio, a state that has been voting conservatively now endorses, or at least a good percentage of the people in Ohio endorsed abortion. They want abortion. There's a growing tide of Americans that want abortion. Infanticide. What about a generation that is willing to kill the unborn? I say that is a generation ripe for judgment. That's a generation waiting for the judgment of God. And it will come in due season. What about a generation that feels, at least among many, that it's perfectly okay to mutilate the bodies of little girls and boys to convert them into something that God did not create them to be? That's not normal. That's not even qualified for abnormality. That is absurd. It is bordering on insanity. So here's what I would like to suggest. Now I know some people that are doing this and they find it very profitable. So I'm going to pass, pass along what they do. They like to wake up in the morning and program their mind with God's word. Before they do anything else. So one suggestion is. To memorize Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be made known unto all men. Christ is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication. Let, say it with me. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Program your mind. Set the thermostat of your mind on the positive assurance of God's word. Now, the book of Revelation will confirm God's sovereignty in a way that very few books will. As a matter of fact, the entire end of the book of Revelation is devoted to the victorious culmination of history by the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ will win the war. Now, it may be that the path to the winning of that war will be filled with some very significant judgment in the book of Revelation when you look at the unsealing of the seven seals and the seven trumpets that follow and the seven vials that follow the seven trumpets. But in the end, Jesus Christ is the victor. His kingdom is victorious. And the 
the most significant verse in the book of Revelation is found as it describes the conclusion. Now this, in my humble opinion, and you may have a different verse, but this is my favorite verse in the entire book of Revelation. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So I don't care how dark the world may look. We need to be positive people. And I'm going to go on record today and say this. So I'd like, if you want to challenge me, you're welcome to do that. But here's my challenge to you. As a believer in Christ, I have a moral duty to be optimistic about the future. I have a moral obligation before my Father in heaven as a believer to believe in the positive assurance of the future. Every child that is born is an affirmation of God's victorious future. So yes, we are currently being ruled by a tyrant. But remember, if you look at those who are leading us, they are a reflection of those who put them or wanted them in places of power. Now, granted, I don't think any American has ever lived in such a convoluted mess as we now find ourselves. But that's all the more reason to know that there's one way the mess will get straightened out when God's judgments, when the seals and the trumpets and the vials of revelation begin to unfold, the whole world will know who's in charge. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, in that day, there will be a whole generation that will cry out for the mountains and the rocks to fall in on them. The whole wonderful theme of Revelation is that remnant who by their faith in Christ and the blood of the Lamb and their allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ have made it through all the fiery judgments of the seals, the trumpets, and the vials, and they're there to shout victory to the Lamb of God. When we left off with lesson two of our flyover, now we're flying over the book of Revelation. I know it may not seem like we're making a lot of progress, but actually the landscape of Revelation, if you, if you look at the detail, you can stay there for a long, long time. And we're actually going to move quite along significantly today, I promise. So in Revelation, we left off in our last lesson, we were in chapter number six of the book of Revelation. That's where we left off last week. And we're going to begin there. Now, we had just concluded our discussion last week of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we said that they were a parallel with four sore judgments of Ezekiel chapter 14. And that's where we left off. So we're looking now in chapter six, at seal number five, and that's the martyred remnant or martyred uh, souls that were martyred during this uh, un unfolding of the, uh, the four seals of the four horsemen. But in seal number five, there's a, there's a family of martyrs that have gone up to heaven. Now, here's something everybody can do. Look at Revelation chapter six, and the opening of seal number five. 
And here are the martyrs crying out, O Lord, how long will it be until you avenge our blood of those who are slain and have slain others on the earth? That will vindicate and prove that at death you do not, your soul does not go into the ground, into the ground with the body to die. The souls are in heaven crying out, How long, how long, O Lord God, will it be till you avenge the blood upon the earth? We go from seal number five in Revelation six, and then we move right into seal number six. And there is an earthquake there that is so significant that I'd like to read something from it, but I don't want to take a lot of time. But let me just say this. It says at the end of seal num opening seal number six, people said to the mountains and rocks, mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, folks, listen. We have a moral obligation. Hear this, hear this, please. I beg of you, listen to this. You and I have a moral obligation not to fear what's happening on the earth today. Amen. We ought not to fear anything that's happening on the earth. Rather, we should fear Him who is going to establish His authority in this earth in ways that people will never imagine. But notice what, what, how the Bible ends seal number 6 in Revelation 16. Or rather, Revelation 6, verse 16. They said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? What do you think is going to happen to the wicked when the wrath of the Lamb is really being unfolded? What do you think is going to happen? Now, Revelation 7 will not revisit that. We were there last week. Revelation is a, is a parenthetical inset. It's an additional set of of instruction or information that is set right in the middle uh, here at the end of, of uh, seal number six. And we'll not revisit that uh, seal again, but if you'll notice that great multitude there in Revelation chapter number seven, that great multitude that have survived the tribulation, hey, they are in the highest heaven. How did they get there? They're not down in, their souls are not down in the ground where the soul sleep people want to put them. No, 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 no. So that brings us then to chapter eight and the opening of seal number seven. Now notice in seal number seven, as we turn to chapter eight, when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And while I do not accept this, uh, this little pun or this humorous statement, a preacher was once preaching on the seventh seal, and he said, Well, you know, the Bible finally confirms that there are no women in heaven because it's silent for a half hour. <laughs> now, I want to cancel that because how many husbands have been won by the conversation of the wife? <laughs> so we're, we're not going to go down that path, are we? Nope. Now, when the seventh seal is open, folks, the opening of the seventh seal calls out seven trumpets. Each one of the succeeding judgments beginning with the seals and the last seal then opens up the seven trumpets and when the trumpets begin to sound the first trumpet sounded verse 7 affecting the earth 
second trumpet sounds in verse 8, affecting the sea and the waters. And then the third trumpet sounds affecting another part of the water. Trump, a fourth trumpet sounds in Revelation 8, 12, affecting the third part of the sun. So we have a giant eclipse, a great giant eclipse. And at the end of the fourth trumpet, the Bible says there are three woes. It's trumpet five, six, and seven yet to sound. Chapter number nine opens up with trumpet number five. Now this is a scary chapter. In trumpet number five, the bottomless pit is opened. And out of that bottomless pit comes a demonic force of strange creatures. And one of those creatures out of the bottomless pit is described in verse 11. I'm in Revelation 9, 11. And they had a king over them in that bottomless pit, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. And what do both of those names mean? Destroyer. This is the destroyer. Now, this is not a human. This is a fallen angel, a supernatural fallen angel. And he is going to turn out to be the beast that rises up out of the sea in Revelation 13. And everybody that's looking for the Antichrist and has been looking at some mortals will be surprised that it's not a mortal at all. It's a fallen angel, and he has the power of an angel. But that's a whole subject unto itself. Now, when we come then to the sixth trumpet, notice the sixth trumpet in Revelation 9, 13, and out of the sixth trumpet comes an army of 200 million, 200,000 thousand, Revelation 9, 16. So that's a lot, lot of people. And here's what we want to point out, church. At the end of the sounding of the sixth trumpet, notice that at the end of that chapter, verse 21, I'm in Revelation 9, 21, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. So when we come to the end of the sounding of the sixth trumpet, all the judgment that has fell has still failed to bring repentance to that generation then living when these judgments are falling. That's how deep and hardened they, that generation is in their sin. Now, we come to chapter 10 in Revelation and look down at verse 7. In verse 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound... The mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. Now, if I were a preterist, I would not want to be talking about that verse because if I were a preterist, I would just pass that verse by and trust that you would not see it. Because... When the seventh angel sounded, the mystery of God is finished. It's all over. And all you need to do is turn the page of your Bible to Revelation eleven fifteen, And the seventh angel sounds 
And here's that verse I quoted a moment ago. There were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. See, the book of Revelation is a book that you've got to be very cautious with because it'll bring the end in the beginning, a correction in the middle, but it's just moving you uh, quickly and showing you something and then moving on to a different subject. Now, in Revelation 11, we have two witnesses. Oh, what a lot of people have talked about the two witnesses of Revelation 11. Now, at first glance, are you with me? Yes, you are. Right, left, center. At first, at first glance, Revelation 11, I hope I don't lose anybody. If I do, I'll have a porter find you. Here we are. We're at Revelation 11. Notice it says here that the two witnesses have the... I'm in verse 6, Revelation 11, 6. They have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy... What prophet in the Old Testament held back the rain for three and a half years? Who was it? Elijah. And then it says, had the power to turn the, the waters into blood and smite the earth with plagues. Who turned the water into blood and brought on the plagues in ancient Egypt? What was his name? Moses. Now, typically people will say, well, this must be Moses and Elijah coming back. But watch, watch out now. Watch out. In verse 7, when they, have, when they shall have finished their testimony, the, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit, that's Apollyon, shall make war against them and overcome them and kill them. Now, wait a minute. Kill the two witnesses. Is that Moses and Elijah, do you think? Well, in the case of Moses, you know that Moses, according to the Bible record, was dead and buried. Dead and buried. This Moses here is going to be judged, killed again. So this could not be the first Moses. Now, Eli there's no record of Elijah dying, but there's a uh, record of Elijah trans transitioning to heaven, meaning he tra was translated. He bypassed death. So these two witnesses, I don't believe, can be Moses and Elijah. So who are the two witnesses? Do you know that Herbert Armstrong believed that he and his son Garner were the two witnesses? But there's been a plethora of people believe that they know who the two witnesses. Do you know who the two witnesses are? Someday we're going to find out. Someday we're going to find out. It's one of the undisclosed mysteries of Revelation. So if somebody tells you that they can identify either one of the two witnesses, well, I know that marijuana has been legalized in a lot of places, so they've been probably doped up. Well, let's move on, folks. Let's move on. Now, in Revelation 11, we're moving to chapter 12. Now, chapter 12 of Revelation... We've been here and done that before, so we're not going to spend time here. But here's the deal. Look at Revelation 12. 12 is a significant number. And there are seven personages that come out on the stage. Think of Revelation 12 as an inset into the book of Revelation. And you've decided to take a break and go to a nice movie. So the stage is open. The curtain's open. Revelation 12 is now on stage. Seven personages come out on that stage. Number one is a woman. Her name is Israel. 
Number two, there is a dragon who is identified as Satan. Number three, there's a child. The child is going to be identified as Jesus, as Jesus. And number four, there is a cosmic battle. And an archangel leads God's forces. His name is Michael. Michael, he's personage number four. And number five is a remnant. A remnant. Chapter 12, verse 17, the, the, number, the number five personage is a remnant of the woman's seed. Now, not today, but at some future time, Try to figure out the riddle of how a woman's seed could be literal, which indeed it is. But why is, why are the people of the remnant in Revelation 12, 17 referred to as the woman's seed? Is there any connection between Revelation 12, 17 and Genesis chapter 3, verse 15? A whole lot of connection. A whole lot of connection. We got to visit that church. Because the woman's seed. Now, wait a minute. Look at your Bible, Revelation 12, verse 17, and the woman's seed is identified by two distinguishing characteristics. And we had better be a congregation that meets this, these two characteristics. If we cannot qualify with the two significant signs of the remnant of the woman's seed in Revelation 12, 17, you and I have problems. We need to pass by our Sabbath lunch and start praying. Why are we not qualified? Why are we not seeking to be qualified? So what are the two distinguishing marks that identifies the woman's seed? What are they? The commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that verse... I promise you with all my heart and soul, when a gentleman named Don Mellon carved out the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed identifies the testimony of Jesus. The Ten Commandments identify the heart of God's covenant in the Old Testament. That verse was not part of that plan when those two plaques were made. How long have those plaques been on that wall? What would you guess? About 35 or 36 years. And they look as pristine today as they did the day they were hung. The man that did the artistic work was from California and he made his living as an artist. So here's, the, here's what we need to remember then, church. When we end chapter 12, we have identified two, a correction, five of the seven personages that are supposed to appear. When we come to chapter 13, we will I, look at chapter 13 now, and we have the sixth personage uh, appearing. That is the sea beast. This beast, who has already been identified as a Paulian or a Badon, Revelation 9-11, comes up out of the sea. The sea is a symbol of what? Multitudes of people. He rises up and he has a lot of power. Oh, he does. We could spend the rest of the morning on this sea beast, but we're not going to. 
because he's going to be joined in Revelation 13, verse 11, with another strange guy, and that is personage number seven. And this seventh unveiling of this seventh person is the false prophet. So now on the scene in Revelation, we have the dragon, we have the beast, and we have the false prophet. And together they form the counterfeit trinity of Satan in the book of Revelation. But to see more specifically how this can be validated, just open your Bible, if you would, for a quick moment to Revelation, flip way over to Revelation chapter number 16. Revelation 16 and verse 13. And please lend me your ears for just a moment. Revelation 16 verse 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Now frogs are part of the demon world. You know that the occult world loves frogs. That's why I don't like to hold a frog. <laughs> well, three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the false mouth of the false prophet. The three unclean spirits, the false trinity. Do you know where those three personages are going to end up before the book of Revelation ends? The lake of fire. That's their doom. Folks, listen, the book of Revelation is a positive book. There are seven dooms that God has reserved as judgments. Boom, 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 doom, doom, doom. In the book of Revelation. So now, chapter 14 is another parenthetical inset. It's going to talk about the 144,000 we've already discussed last week in Revelation 7. So it's recounting that, but in verse 14 of chapter 14, it opens up a whole new panorama of events with the rider that was on the white horse in Revelation 19 verse 11 not to be confused with the white horse of Revelation 6 1 that is a counterfeit white horse deception is his name so don't saddle up deception and ride him wait for the white horse of Revelation 19.11, here's, he, here's what that horse is going to do. <clears throat> notice, notice in verse 18, another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, gathered the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into a great wine press of the wrath of God. This next verse is scary. Science fiction. And the wine press was trodden without the city. Blood came out of the wine press even to the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. You know, the occult world today in America loves blood. They're going to get plenty of it. It's coming their way and more than they ever imagined. Purpose today to be part of the remnant church of God, not part of the recipients of the judgments to fall. So this brings us then to chapter 15, which is the vision of the angel who begins to talk about the seven vials, the seven last plagues 
containing the bowls of the wrath of God. And so these, these uh, the whole purpose there of that chapter is to unveil these, uh, to introduce these seven last vials or plagues. So let's look at Revelation 16. The first vial, the first giant vial is emptied out on the earth to finish doing what the previous trumpet judgment had brought. The next one is for the sea, verse 3. The next one is for the rivers, verse 4. This is really a repeat of chapter 8, but with a greater intensity. Now God is turning up the judgment. The judgments are were introduced, and they were very destructive, but now they're becoming unbelievably difficult, and judgment is falling in ways we can't imagine. In verse 8, we have the sun scorching men with fire. In the fifth seal, we have the beast kingdom being visited with God's judgment. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues in pain. Gruesome. Revelation 16, 10. Well, by the time we get to verse 17 of chapter 16, we're ready for the seventh angel to pour out his vial. Notice when he pours out his vial, verse 17 of chapter 16, there came a voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Done. That means it's giving you another idea of how the closing of that judgmental season will be. And then we come to 17, chapter 17, and this is doom number one, the doom upon Babylon. Doom upon Babylon. So that is comforting thought. We're going to see a doom upon Babylon. There's seven dooms. In chapters 17 and 18, we have the doom of Babylon. We have that doom that falls on Babylon. And then we have in chapter 18, the angelic view of how Babylon will fall. It, it, chapter 18 of Revelation is a beautiful, uh, it's a wonderful story. And it, it almost is like it was written yesterday. It's, going to, it's describe, describing the financial empires of the world. What's going to happen to the empires, financial empires of the world? Whoa, Revelation 18. Let me, let, me, let me read a verse from it. It says in Revelation, Revelation chapter 18, verse 10, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. How long will it take God to judge the financial system of this world? One hour. What will happen when that system is judged? There will be mass suicides on a level that will make the great stock crash of 1929 seem like a picnic. People will watch fortunes disappear in an instant on the digital framework of the financial Babylon. Notice what it says in Revelation 18, 20. Rejoice over her, 
thou heaven and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. When we come to Revelation 19, this is a beautiful chapter. It is a parenthetical chapter in the first six verses. It just wants you to know about the four hallelujahs, the fourth, the four different hallelujahs. And they all have to do with rejoicing. In verse 7, the marriage of the Lamb is come. Now watch carefully. Revelation 19, 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and the wife hath made herself ready. Now wait a minute. Who is this wife that makes herself ready for a wedding? Who is that woman that makes herself ready for a wedding? Okay. To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now may I take the liberty of reading to you what the evangelical world believe about this woman? Do I dare read what the evangelical world say about this woman? Well, thank you for your liberty. Quote, the Lamb's wife here is the bride. The church identified with the heavenly Jerusalem to be distinguished from Israel, the adulterated, repudiated wife of Jehovah of the Old Testament, who is identified with the earth, a forgiven and restored wife, could not be called either a virgin or a wife. So, evangelically, that world, that part of the religious world, say there's going to be two women in God's life at the end of the age. So, when God, who believes in monogamy, God alone said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to what? His wife. How many wives? One wife. Who did God marry at Mount Sinai? One wife. Who will God marry at the end of the age at the marriage supper of the Lamb? He's going to marry the woman he cast out. That's why he went to Calvary to die. He died for the woman he loved. And that's why you and I are rede a redeemed people because we had someone that loved us enough that he would die for us, die for our sins. What a, what a God we serve. That so-called repudiated, adulterated, scorned woman of the Old Testament is going to become a virgin bride washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's True restoration. So God's going to end up with one woman. Relax on that. Now, church, we're coming down the home stretch here. We're in Revelation 19, 11, and I saw heaven open. I saw heaven open. Look at Revelation 19, 11. You've got to do this. Your dinner's going to be ready and everything's going to be hunky-dory, so don't worry about anything. I saw heaven open, Revelation 19, 11. I saw heaven open and beheld a white horse. He that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is not the white horse of Revelation chapter 6 seal. And that seal there of the white horse. Two different horses, two different riders. One is a, a deceptive rider announcing a world of peace. That, you can call that horse Klaus Schwab. Name him Klaus Schwab. Or you could call him Bill Gates. It doesn't matter. They both qualify. And a whole lot of others. So now, his eyes, I'm in verse 12, Revelation 19. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but he, but he himself. Oh, oh. 
whoa, 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 wait a minute. Here's the name of this writer that is yet to be revealed. So don't get too tied down to a name. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him. Armies in heaven. Think about it. Armies in heaven followed him upon white horses. That would be quite a following clothed with fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, ruling them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress. We read about that earlier in chapter 14. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Folks, if you've read to the end of the story, God wins the war. So, be positive. Live in the assurance that God is and He is able. Now, when you come to chapter 19, verse 20, the beast was taken with him, the false prophet, that wrought miracles before him, which deceived them. This is the, these are the grand architect designers of the Mark of the Beast, incidentally. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And they are still there in chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Praise God, this is his doom. This is the doom of Satan. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. I'm in Revelation 20, verse 10. A fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented for a few days. I'm sorry. Shall be tormented what? Day and night for a week. For a day. Tormented day and night forever and ever. However long that is. You want to guess how long forever and ever is? Forever. <laughs> That's a pretty easy solution, church. So we come then to the end of chapter 19. And we have... A horse with a rider appearing, and there's an army following him. Now, in the minute and 15 seconds we have left, who is the army that comes with the white horse? In Revelation 19, verse 11, in, in verse number 11, and we have with him, verse 14, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Now, I don't know what the Jehovah's Witnesses are going to, where they're going to get these riders for these horses, because they've got everybody dead in the ground with their soul dead. But here's some riders. Well, you know, this could turn out to have be some people you've known before in your life. This could be some people that have gone on to their reward. That are coming back mounted on one of these horses. Could be. There went a minute and 16 seconds. So, church, in closing this lesson. We are now ready to set up the kingdom in chapter 20. Now, for my part, Revelation 20 is, for me, one of the most favorite chapters in the Bible. I want to see the kingdom on this earth. That's what I live for. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that every morning 
that we gather for morning prayer. We say that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So please, please, if you will, please, come back next week and let's set up the kingdom. Let's do that. Come back, back next week. Read Revelation 20. That's your homework. And we'll come back next week. Shall we stand? Is anyone worthy?